Folks, welcome to another edition of Wild, Wicked, and Weird. I am your host, Brett Hedges, along with my co-host... Hi, how you doing? Will Voivodic here. We are just two average Canadians taking a deep dive into the wild, wicked, and weird stories from around Windsor, Ontario, and around the world. And thank you for joining us from around the world for our 12th episode. That's right, number 12, the Zodiac episode. Folks, remember <laughs> to uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, we're at WildWickedW. Our Gmail is at WildWickedAndWeird. And we just wrapped up our latest Facebook contest. Congrats to Connor Holmes for winning a $50 gift certificate to Windsor's Penalty Box. So we'd like to give a shout-out to our buddy uh, Nick Nifros and Windsor's Penalty Box, everyone there who uh, sponsored our latest episode. And uh, Connor, you got some delights in your in your future. So congrats and thanks to everyone who participated. Thank you very much for all the shares, likes, and uh, reviews. Are absolutely yes, you guys yes. To take a look at uh, our Apple reviews, they are going up. Give us five stars on Apple. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It's our best way to climb the charts. We don't know how they figure it out, but more five stars equals yeah. more chicken delights for yeah. us. Exactly. So, yeah. Go. The more five stars, the better for you. And. Um, to go along with some checking the lights, we've got some stories for you this week. And, Willie, I've got a doozy for you. Are you ready for it? Wait. Uh, okay. Okay. No. no yeah, I'm yeah. I, I'm exactly ready for it. I yeah. I just, yeah, I, yeah, I just I'm had there. an idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, rest in peace, DMX. Rest in peace. True legend there. Making, uh, making, <laughs> layup, making music for high school basketball layup lines, <laughs> man. It was great. Going up to. Uh, Getting geeked in the grade eight hockey practice. Yeah. Uh, what's it? Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. Uh, great song, but uh, <laughs> absolutely uh, a lost talent to the world. Only fifty years old, so that's uh, that's too young. But uh, in the meantime, we're not gonna t- we're gonna talk about someone who's much older than DMX. So Willie, I want you to sit back and relax because I'm gonna tell it's you a hard story. in this chair. You have the fucking good chair this time. Goddamn right. I t- my house. It was my turn to go first this week, so I get the good chair first. God, I'm definitely not going to be falling asleep during this story, that's for sure. It's fucking impossible in this thing. Yeah, I'm not going to be pulling a Ronnie, so... I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story that's a little bit more engaging. Hopefully you don't fall asleep for it. So I'm going to tell you a story, and this story is special because it really is a rags-to-riches story. One about an unlikely character who grew up on the streets and pulled off the biggest bank heist in the history of our beautiful country. Is it... Is it Balto? Is it Balto? (laughs) Not this week. Our story takes place in Montreal. Montreal, Quebec. Okay. Georges, what do you know about Montreal? (laughs) Oh, are we at the Just for Laughs Festival? (laughs) Yeah, they have that. Like, uh, have you ever? What do you know about Montreal? Montreal. When when was the last time you went to Montreal? Uh, A couple years ago. Yeah, what'd you do there? Uh, Went to the bagel place, what's called Katz, or some Mm -hmm. Jewish name. It's like a Jewish, I don't know. A Jewish, de- Jewish deli? There's like, no, it's not a deli. They just, just bagels. Oh, okay. St. Vieta, that's the name of it. Okay. It was really good. And we went and saw the cathedral and uh, a couple other things. Just all the touristy things, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we went to a Just for Laughs festival mm-hmm. and we saw Tim Dillon. Okay. There. And he was nobody. There was like 20 people at the show. I talked to him after, hung out. Tim Dillon is killing it, man. He's oh, great. So good. maybe we'll have him on sometime soon. Who knows? Yeah. Anyways, I forget what we were talking about. I'm talking about Montreal. I've only been to Montreal <laughs> once in my life. So I drove through it and stopped for lunch at a burger spot when I was on my way to Quebec City to go cover uh, Red Bull Crash Dice when I was in first year journalism school. So I we drove through it. I remember driving around and there was like a big protest going on, I think, with both the students. And I was remember driving around in downtown Montreal and we just stopped at a burger spot right near Bell, the Bell Center. And like that was it. Like we went to Quebec City for the weekend and got drunk. So I don't remember a whole lot about Montreal, but... Sounds riveting. It was great. <laughs> anyway, so... but. But Montreal is a great place, and a lot of people have made their name there. And one person I guarantee you've never heard of is a man named Melvin Mingo. Melvin Mingo? How is that son of a bitch doing? (laughs) He knows my uncle. Uh, So right off the top, this guy, in my opinion, he reminds me of our old friend Brody. So not because... So so this is a photo of of Melvin here, and I'm showing you this. He looks like a nice man. He looks like... uh... 
the neighbor from any town USA. Just Honestly, yeah, this good old buy. He reminds me of a of a guy that used to live next to me when I lived on Dufferin Place. Look at that broom handled mustache. Jeez. He's a nice guy. They don't make him like that anymore. No. So uh and this photo will be on our Facebook page. So if you guys take a few seconds to just go over there, uh give us a like, you know, uh check us out. Why are, um, we, why are we putting pictures of old men on our Facebook? Well, because this guy is not a hulking big gangster. Okay. He, he's a nice guy who's a storyteller. So after this story, I'm going to yeah, you're, okay, gotcha. he's, he's important. So like when this guy gets a few drinks in him or a few substances, he can be influenced, if you say. So just like when we told Brody to shave his hair into a mohawk one night, he said no. But we gave him a few drinks, and an hour later, we were shaving his head. And that's where this photo comes in. Brody is uh, Brett's ex-platonic uh, roommate. That's right. <laughs> and where's my thing here? And, you know, oh when we get God. and when we get drunk with Brody, things like this happen. Like the men of a rock bottom calendar. And Brody becomes Mr. March, and Brody shoves a, sh- Are you uh, shaves him a little bit. listeners what the calendar's from? Not yet. Okay. That's that's a teaser. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna sh- share the the calendar photos one at a time for oh, right now. Okay. Right. So just that's just an image. So this guy could be this guy is what I'm saying. This guy could be a wild child, and I'm gonna tell you how. One doesn't have his shirt on, and I'm glad it's not the old man. <laughs> okay, but this is but this is different. Melvin has a much more mischief mischievous streak in him. Mel mischievous Melvin Mingo. That's right. My oh my. My oh my. <laughs> And Melvin's life of mischief began in 1949 when he was born to a Polish carpenter father and an Irish Montrealer mother. Oof. So can you imagine having an Irish French-Canadian mother? You can hardly understand them on a good day, let alone when she's had some Glenfiddich in her fucking coffee. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Eddie, God damn it, Mango, Melvin, what are you doing over there? Get you off your fucking butters there, everybody. Glenfiddich and syrup. Glenfiddich and syrup on, on your pancakes <laughs> if you even had any food. So... Uh, Melvin's Polish carpenter father, quotations carpenter father, was familiar with the criminal world. How many Polish jokes do you think they had about Polish carpenters <laughs> back in the day? Not enough. Uh, so his father was familiar with the criminal world, which led to his family of five moving almost every year. So similar to New York and other huge cities, Montreal has boroughs, right? Yeah. So these are different towns or cities that were annexed into Montreal. Uh, and there are 19 boroughs in Montreal. Damn. So, uh, and Melvin's family moved a lot. So they lived in quite a few different ones, including Ville Saint Laurent, Notre Dame de Grasse, The Point, and in Westmount. Love very like Saint Dame de Grasse, Notre Dame, and The Point. That's what they wrote. <laughs> and Westmount. Yeah. So the living arrangement at Westmount especially stood out in Melvin's memory because there were 17 different children staying at that particular tenement house at the time. God damn. So that's like slum housing, right? Fuck. So Melvin grew up on the streets. Fucking lady who lived in a shoe. Exactly, <laughs> right? Uh, and he grew up. So he grew up on the streets. And when you are a poor kid, you learn how to hustle at a very early age. And if you get good at hustling, you can eventually move your way up the criminal ladder and join a gang. And when you're a poor kid in Montreal growing up in the 1960s, the gang you keep hearing about and the gang you want to be a part of is the West End the Gang. The Jets. The Jets. Here come the Jets, yeah, and they're gonna swing every last darn thing on a whole darn street. This isn't West Side Story? No, this is Did the you West just End. you see the West End Gang? The West End Gang. Holy shit, I know them. I know them. So we mentioned them in our, in our story last week about people who were kind of offshoot members of the gang. Yeah, who may or may not have fired shots outside of my window. <laughs> yeah. If you heard some pops. That's that was the pause that we had last week. There was some <laughs> weird shit going outside of the window, and we had no idea what was going on. So. It was fireworks and or gunshots. Who knows? Yeah, it was a, it was a weekend night. What can we say? Um, so Melvin is good at being a criminal, and he quickly becomes a member of the West End Gang. So for people who don't know, the West End Gang was Montreal's Irish mob, and they were huge in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. So yeah, Rizzuto clan, the Vito Rizzuto, and these, those guys. These are a little bit different. These so are different like families. The, what the Westies were to John Gotti in New York. One hundred percent. Irish got thugs who worked for the Italians. And, yep. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, I feel like I'm there. I've but, watched The Godfather. I but know. like Montreal was different because the 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 crime Instead the crime syndicates. Families, do they have there's three. Families? There was four. <laughs> the there was four different things, but there okay. was the Hell's Angels, the Rizzutos. The the Westies and everything like that. So anyway, Bobby Pensacola and the Moriata brothers. Mm-hmm. So the West End gang was famous for armed robbery, extortion, and especially 
truck hijackings. So this is like kind of similar to Goodfellas when they just steal a bunch of 18-wheelers and then sell the cartoon cartons of cigarettes out the back of her car after. Karen! Karen! Those were all the cigarettes we had! What are you doing? You could him! Come on, Karen! I flushed it down the toilet. Oh, what are you doing? Karen! This, I gotta go on the street and worry about getting whacked. I gotta come home to this! <laughs> So, uh, later on, the gang would move into drug trafficking, and Mingo would say, that ruined everything and turned it into shit. Oh, so, does. drugs always does. So, kind of like Vito Corleone. I tell these kids, it. stick to truck hijacking. You can't go wrong. <laughs> you can't go wrong. You got you got to le- legitimately move merchandise. It can't be just smack. Come on. <laughs> so, just to show kind of his uh, his ring, ring of fire, so to speak, Mel- some of Melvin's friends included a guy named Ted Bootsy Orban, who tried to dig a tunnel into a bank in 1967. Old Bootsy and his tunnels. Old Bootsy. <laughs> that's, that's Bootsy for you. That's right. Another famous friend was Dickie Lavoie, a hitman who could do 1,000 push-ups in one sitting. Wow. 1,000. How many can you do, Willie? Uh, More than me. On to the next question. I, I, I'm so blown away by the 1,000, I can't even That's right. I can't even do a push-up while right. until I process that. <laughs> so not That's one true. is your answer. That's right. Uh, maybe my boy Levante could do a 1,000. I don't know. I'll ask yeah. him. Um, boy Levante a hitman for the Montreal mob? He could be. Anyway. Uh, so <laughs> Commercial but, break. <laughs> brought to you by. <laughs> so uh, Melvin's closest friend in the mob was a guy named Davey Johnston, who became a good drinking buddy who would party with Melvin at nightclubs like the Windsor Hotel. Nice. I knew I was going to be able to bring this back to Windsor, motherfucker. The Windsor Hotel. That's right. Anyway, that was the only way. That was the only time that Windsor was mentioned in this story. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and then there was a friend named Machine Gun Molly, or Molly La Mitrail. Wow. Who, so uh, she, may, or, she may have her own episode one day. So it oh, was either. Girl. Yeah, Molly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was Monica, Molly, whatever. It was either I told Molly or Melvin's story today. So keep that in the back so of your machine mind. machine gun Molly and mischievous Mike Mingoy? <laughs> mischievous Melvin Mingo. Mischievous Melvin Mingo, yeah. And machine gun Molly. And machine gun Molly. So put that in the back of your hat one day. So this is Melvin's quote about growing up. Quote, if you hang around with thieves, what will you be? An artist? A plumber? A pizza delivery guy? <laughs> End quote. So at, at age 19, when Melvin's a member of the West End gang... He gets pinched after he robs a TD bank on St. Catherine Street in Montreal, and he shot a teller named Bruce Dawes in the stomach. Dawes survived, but Melvin had to spend two years in prison awaiting trial. But Melvin's patience would pay off after he was acquitted by a jury in 1970. Wow. So apparently the judge thought that it was appropriate to say after this that if the decision was up to him, Melvin would have been found guilty. Wow. So, so the judge was not happy. He had a good lawyer. And Melvin's a good storyteller, right? He was able to say that he had nothing to do with it, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, the story is one thing, but when you shoot someone... <laughs> it wasn't me! And everyone sees it, that's a little different. This is mm-hmm. before cameras and all that shit. Exactly right? right. You're exactly right. But he would continue to get arrested and paroled, or he would just get out of prison after a few years. And this happened so often that one time when he got out of prison, he was too proud to ask for money from his friends. So what would anyone do? What would you do if you were out of money... Go see fucking Andrew Dawes at TD Bank. I got some unfinished business with him. <laughs> Is it Andrew Dawes? What was his name? Bruce Dawes. Bruce Dawes, Bruce. yeah. They still call me Bruce. And they still call me Bruce. So Melvin, Melvin rents out a restaurant on St. Paul Street and hosts a one-man variety show called the I Need Money Show. <laughs> he hosts his own comedy show. Oh, at a restaurant, he sells tickets to a variety of Irish, Italian, and French mobsters in the city, and he sells out two shows at this restaurant. So he tears the house down, he roasts the mobsters, the whole thing. He says this was one of the best nights of his life. He had a great time. Oh my god. So Melvin is a showman. He's a show- storyteller. He's he's uh, He can pull off a lot of shit. So later on, a friend would lend Melvin his car so he could get around the city. And what do you know? Melvin got pulled over. And it turns out the car had no registration. So quick thinking, Melvin slips a $100 bill next to his license to give it to the cop. And do you think it works? Hell no. They toss his ass back in jail for attempting to bribe a police officer. With $100 in Canadian tire money. (laughs) That's why it didn't work. Uh, So this guy had some tough luck in the 80s. So overall, Melvin would spend the entire duration of the 80s in prison up to 1984. Right, so he was in jail all throughout 1980s until 19 for, 19- for break for uh, armed robbery, stealing shit, okay. being part of the West End gang, just okay. getting pinched for a bunch of stuff, having to go away, 
like he had to spend two two years in jail just waiting trial just to get acquitted. That kind of you don't get that time back, right? Yeah, well, that's so three jobs for that, of like, course. So right. he's been in this gang for about fifteen years right now, and he's going nowhere, right? And it's the it's the year of nineteen eighty four, and that's when our boy Melvin got some big ideas to go along with the big ass hair that women wore in the nineteen eighties. Good lord, by the way, holy shit. The amount of hairspray the women used back in the day was crazy. So can we just take a second to appreciate that? <laughs> holy shit, you guys can start fires. Anyway, and the padding's on the shoulders too. How did you guys live? Like what yeah. were you guys what were you doing? Carrying boom boxes all day? Shit. <laughs> okay, so let's jump ahead to nineteen eighty four. And now with respect, me and Willie weren't born at that time, so we had to do some digging into the pulse of North America at the time. Not just Canada, but North America. And all I had to look at was that Prince purple rain dropped that year okay. so that's all i need to fucking know yeah prince was the goddamn man that year <laughs> yeah. prince and cindy lopper basically were were the shit in 1984 oh, yeah. and this was the start of like when wayne gretzky had his dynasty going too right yeah so this is a good time in canada pop culture like this is good like prince is fucking huge purple rain just dropped this is great morris day because morris prince is canadian yeah who cares i'm just <laughs> saying like it's a good time for music yeah morris day and jerome Morris Day and the time or fucking oh we oh we oh cocaine was I literally known as vitamin C. Oh we oh we oh yeah it was prescribed by doctors Wasn't still. Bad for you. So let's go to I the. I didn't f- get that reference. Sorry, <laughs> I know okay. you were trying to hit it home. You're like Willie, you know what I'm talking about? No. I'm just like no. It's I'm, okay. In I'm Purple Rain, there's cocaine. a band called Morris Day and the Time. The motherfucking time. time. That's right. That's the only part I know. Oh my jungle love. That's right. My jungle love. Oh we oh we oh. That's right. Think along, I know you know you. Fifteen bucks, little man. Put that shit in my hand. If that money doesn't show, then you owe me, owe me, owe my jungle love. Hey. Oh, we, oh, there you go. Okay. Fuck, thank God. I, I feel like I'm there. You're there, finally. Yeah. All right, so it's the fall of 1984, and Melvin Mengo is sitting in a bar on Crescent Street in downtown Montreal. And he is sitting at a bar stool, and a couple of spots over, he hears this loudmouth banker trying to oppress a woman in his group by talking about how much money he handles working for Merrill Lynch Bank. You know, we've all been there. We worked in the bar industry. You've got that hotshot guy at the bar just fucking talking about how much money he makes or how great his life is. And you could just roll your eyes. ABC, Poutoul, and Pawn. That's right. We never had any Marilyn Lynch. That's right. (laughs) I guess so. But you know what I mean? Like, you could just roll your eyes and you just mind your own business, whatever. This guy's talking shit. But Melvin pays attention and he picks up a small detail that intrigues him a lot. He hears this guy say that the bank transports millions of dollars worth of securities up and down the elevators from the main floor of the office building. So securities, Willie, are tradable assets such as banknotes, bonds, stocks, etc. You know, like grown-up shit. Like things that we don't know about. We're, we're podcasters. We don't know about stocks and bonds. So if anyone wants to help us, please, wildwickedandweird at gmail.com. Give us some in- insight about investing. Give us some Dogecoin. Yeah. So Melvin gets an idea, and he starts scoping out the Merrill Lynch Canada LTD on Dorchester Boulevard in Montreal. And for a month, Melvin would go to the Queen Elizabeth Hotel across from Place de Ville uh, Marie and sit at a bus stop. And he would wear disguises so as to not arouse suspicion. He would dress as a bank courier sometimes. Other times he would dress up with a briefcase walking around just so he could blend in sit at this bus stop for 30 minutes every day and watch the people and see what patterns he could find, right? So here's what Melvin figures out. The office tower has eight elevators, but only one of them goes to the basement. Melvin also finds out that the bank couriers from Merrill Lynch don't wear guns when they go up and down the elevators. And he notices that a particular pair of couriers from Merrill Lynch are really lazy when it comes to walking, so much so that they take the same elevator each day because it is the shortest walking distance. So he also, well, and the last thing is that he notes that a security guard stationed between the elevators and the front door is easily distracted by women with cleavage. The oldest trick in the book, just the old cleavage girl. Anyway. Also, during this period of time, he makes contact as, with someone. As if any of the other guards weren't distracted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, like you're sitting at a goddamn. You're sitting at as a security guard all day. Anything that goes on is going to catch your attention, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, so, also during this time, he makes a contact with someone inside the building, inside the office building, who works for Merrill Lynch and has knowledge of when large amounts of securities are being moved from the bank. 
And he tells Melvin that up to $100 million of securities is transported at certain times on certain days, right? So his ears perk up. He's doing a lot of work. So to recap, right, he has an inside man. He has learned that Merrill Lynch bank carriers are unarmed and lazy and are in charge of a large amount of money. Cleavage, yes. Right? He knows that big-breasted women are like, you know, a nice set of A's or B's in a push-up bra. I'm not going to discriminate. So he sat on a bench for months to learn that men like tits (laughs) and banks have money. Anything else? He's learning patterns, Ray. He's I, learning I patterns. I know. I'm yeah. I know. But he's casing this joint the out. The sun sets another day. That's right. The sun rises. Oh, no. That's that's good. Okay. So he I knows like that. you're laying it out for me. Yeah. The bed's made. That's right. So big-breasted women. He knows that big-breasted women distract the security guard. And he knows that the elevator that those dummy guards use every time because they're lazy. And it's the shortest distance. This also happens to be the only elevator that goes down to the basement. Okay. So these guys are setting him up for something. And so when he's thinking about this, when he's talking about setting up this plan, he talks about when he was growing up amongst criminals. Like everyone was talking about like flipping drugs or stealing a car or doing everything. Like he always thought about like pulling off a big, big heist, you know, like pulling off like a drink. dirty. The big dirty, the big fucking job. The one you ride off into the wind with. Never to be heard from again. Because it never works out like that. <laughs> no one ever gets So it. Melvin starts to hatch a plan. But this is a different type of robbery because you just can't wear masks. Like you're walking into an office building, right? It's not like today where everyone's wearing masks and okay. it's normal. You have to blend in. You have to be chill and you have to be inconspicuous with a gun because no one else has a gun amongst the couriers, right? In this bang. If you have a gun on you, people are going to be suspicious. So Melvin recruits a group of people to help him. So this makes me think of this is going to be like a Quebecois version of like Inside Man with Clive Owen or like a French Canadian version of Ocean's Eleven. But Melvin says that in an interview that those movies are way more complicated and intricate than anyone could ever fucking pull off. Like Mm -hmm. it's fun to watch, but there are way too many moving parts that could go wrong. Like three people can keep a secret if two are dead. That's 100 (laughs) percent. You understand what I'm talking about. But, so, Melvin talks with his informant at Merrill Lynch about when this operation should go down, and they pick a date. Quote, it was such a beautiful score, Melvin said. It was like everyone's dream. The big last one. So, Melvin quietly forms his team, and on December 21st, 1984, the heist is on. Melvin rolls up in a station wagon and parks his car on University Street. The rest of his crew arrived separately. Melvin was dressed as a courier and brought a dolly with him as he entered the office building, but the difference between him and other couriers is that he was packing some heat. He's got a silver semi-automatic pistol on his waist. So one member of his team was a woman with obvious cleavage, and her only job was to distract the guard between the front door and the elevator. So step one, check fucking mate right there. You're good. Step one and two. (laughs) You're good. So, uh... So good job, uh, Francis, whatever your name is. So, Good job, nameless woman with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's no other woman in the story, right? It's just the one who shows her tits, that's it? Uh, maybe later. But, Does uh, she have a name? So they have a name later, yes. <laughs> so the two unsuspecting Merrill Lynch guards are Michael and Frank. So Michael is 24. Oh, and, they sound lazy. Yeah. So Michael is 24 and Frank is 65. So whenever these two deposit bank securities, they use the same elevator. And I'm going to call them Frankie and Mike. Call them elevator enthusiasts. That's right. So Frankie, I can just imagine how fucking lazy these guys are. Because, like, you know Mike is the rookie, is the young guy, and just Frankie is the one calling all the shots and just telling him whatever. And he's not teaching him how to be a good security guard. He's just teaching him how to be a lazy fuck. Teaching him where the closest elevators are. Hey, Frankie and Mike, you're fucking the dog. And I'm watching you. This one takes five minutes to open, but these doors, they... They take only three, Frankie. That's what we call ass time. <laughs> anyway. Now we get to go look at those tits over there. Oh, look at that cleavage, I tell you. Oh. All right. So the plan... <laughs> but, like, that's how simple these guys are, right? So the plan is for the inside man to pet... So the plan is for the inside man to page Melvin when Frank and Mike left the office with the securities to go down to the bank, right? So when Melvin's pager goes off... His brother, who was a big muscle guy, so the plan is for when the pager goes off, Melvin and his brother, who was a big muscly guy, would intercept Frankie and Mike on the elevator. 
hold them at gunpoint, take them all the way down the basement, tie them up and lock them in a washroom. Then they would ride up the elevator with securities, walk out the elevator and out the front door with no one, none the wiser. So Melvin and so Melvin and his brother wait for his pager to go off. Like this is 1984. You're using pagers, right? They're waiting for the party to get started and mm, mm, mm. all right, it's go time. They get the buzz. Melvin and his brother enter a elevator at the correct time, but Frankie and Mike aren't there. So they start panicking like, what the fuck? Like, what are we going to do? So they stay on the elevator. They go all the way up to the 24th floor, go all the way back down. Frankie and Mike don't come on. People come and go. People come and go, but not Frankie and Mike. So they're thinking like, oh my God, did something up? Like, are we going to have to abort the plan? And all of a sudden, ding. Who walks in? Frankie and Mike with a bunch of securities from a bank and they're about to transport it, right? So Frankie and Mike walk in and Melvin. What happened? Where were they then? So so what had happened? Good, thank you. So what the delay was You noticed that thing. So the delay was that another bank, a Brinks bank, uh, had a priority over Frankie and Mike's company. Okay. So they bumped Frankie and Mike and they just pushed them back in the line ten minutes. Okay. So uh, Melvin and his accomplice just had to wait 10 minutes on the elevator. But okay. if someone recognizes them as not being there, then they're screwed, right? So okay. so they had to blend in. They had to play it cool. And when they finally come onto the elevator, Melvin smiles. He goes, come in. Come on in, boys. There's plenty of room. And oh, some great cleavage downstairs. You're going to love it. <laughs> That's right. She's wicked hot. Because <laughs> Montreal, Boston accent. That's like. right. Montreal, Irish French, Irish, Polish accent. Like you can't go wrong because what? How do you know this guy's gonna sound right? So once the doors close, Melvin pounces. He sticks his gun in the back of the one guard's back and says calmly, "You're just gonna follow me and that person up front." Pick the wrong elevator, fat boy. Just keep your eyes down. That's right. He flashed them the chrome of the gun. He told the, both of them that he would shoot them if he needed to, and that he would be taking the securities and leaving them in the basement. And if they cooperated. They were going to live, right? So on their way down to the basement, people are coming and going out of the elevator because it's a business o- busy office building. He's got a, gun, he's got a okay. gun, but he's being inconspicuous, right? Yeah. He's got He's holding it on his back. And all of a sudden, a fucking mailman comes on, and he recognizes uh, Frankie and Mike, and he starts talking to them in French, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then Melvin tenses up, and he's like, oh, my God, am I going to have to kill this guy? Like, yeah. am I going to have to commit murder to make this Do money? they know French? They know French. Yeah, Melvin, okay. is, Melvin is French. Everyone in this story knows French as well. So Melvin said, quote, I thought to myself, I hope you get off soon, buddy, because if you don't, you're going to have a bad weekend. (laughs) So end quote. Finally, the mailman gets off the elevator and they go on down to the basement. Melvin and his brother tie up Frankie and Mike to a urinal in the bathroom and tell them that someone's watching them in the dark. So even if they scream, like, don't scream or else we're going to kill you, that Uh kind of thing. Right. So 15 minutes later, a janitor found poor Frankie and Mike locked up in the bathroom in, the, in a maintenance closet, but Melvin and his team were long fucking gone. Three of them left in separate cars and one left on public transit, and within 30 minutes of leaving the building, they were all at their stash house counting up what they had stolen. Wow. So what do you think they made off with? Uh, Two million? More. Wow. Four million? More. Five million? 10 million times 10 100 million more lower 68 million dollars us wow. worth of bearer bonds these guys didn't have any go- oh it's bonds okay bonds. we're not gonna get rid of that shit. bonds right these so these are worth of bearer bonds which could be cashed in without proof of ownership yeah. so this is okay so for those who for those of the uh, for those of you who care it was 48 $40.8 million in negotiable securities and $28.1 million in non-negotiable items. So if there's any financiers out there. So do you want to know some of the people who he stole from? So these are sure. like people's like bonds, right? So fun fact, <laughs> one of the bonds belonged to an Olympic speed skating hero named Gaetan Boucher, a four-time Olympic medalist who came back from breaking his ankle in 1983 to be Canada's flag bearer at the opening ceremonies for the 1984 Winter Olympics in Sarajevo, which is in... Former Yugoslavia. Serbia, right? Well, Serbia now. Bosnia and Herzegovina. He would later win two gold medals in the 1,000 and 1,500 meter and bronze in the 500 meter. Boucher was so amazing at the Olympics that he was awarded the Lou Marsh Trophy as Canada's Outstanding Male Athlete of the Year in 1984. 
These are the fucking people he stole from. So this wow. is high profile shit. Yeah. Like this is really big shit. Well, I guess those are the people. It's not like mom and pop who put their money in a four hundred one k or something. No, exactly. Say, These are rich people putting their money in bonds to. I'm guessing use some sort of tax loophole or something like that. One hundred percent. And people who don't want these to be found are big time banks and big time financiers. So they send private detectives from New York to come find this money. Okay, so, so they're not just trusting the regular cops. No, 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 no. This is like so Montreal cops, RCMP made. cops, and these private detectives, and a whole bunch of private detectives from different people with bonds. So this is like heat. This is just like heat. One hundred. I'd have to watch bonds. it. I'd have to You've watch never it. Never seen heat. I told you this. We've already gone over. We've this. gone Sorry, over people. this. Please Sorry. stop yelling at me. Sorry. Anyway, so PIs come down from New York to come down and try and collect the stolen money because Merrill Lynch Canada is offering a reward to anyone who is able to locate this gang of thieves because this makes them look. Like fucking idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and so for a month. Thirty years later, they're going to look like more idiots, though. That's right, because I'm telling the story, bitch. And for a month, Melvin and his pals say nothing. But this is all over the news, right? So this is all over the news so much that Melvin has to lie when people ask him who he thinks he did it. Like yeah. who he thinks did it. Yeah. So he goes, oh, I don't know. Like it must have been a bunch of out-of-towners. Like I had no idea what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because... He's a robber. He's a bank robber. People know that this is his kind of thing, but but he doesn't want to say anything because anyone can be can turn him in. Yeah. Right? So but he can't just sit on this money too. Like he can't just sit on these bonds, as he says, quote, we're not gonna use them for wallpaper. Like so we yeah. have to find a buyer. So the tricky thing is that these bonds have specific ID numbers which could eventually make them null and void. So you have to sell them for pennies on the dollar to get make it worth it for someone to buy them, mm. right? Because they can become worthless. So Mango and his accomplices, his two brothers, travel to Toronto to find themselves a shady offshore banker who would buy the stolen bonds and, two, is crafty enough to launder them. But they don't really care about the second part. Right? It doesn't matter to them. Yeah. So eventually, Melvin and his brothers find a buyer who is willing to buy the bonds for 10% of their worth. So, wow, that's good, man. So $6.8 million. Okay. So split five ways, that's about 1.3 mil each. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So 40 days after robbing Merrill Lynch of $68 million in bonds, Melvin fit all of the bonds into two cheap suitcases. He said he spent like 100 bucks on these suitcases. <laughs> and, he, and he travels to Toronto to meet this guy at the Harbor Castle Hilton. Is that the guy from the commercials? The I'm the cash man. Give me money for your gold. Bearer bonds. <laughs> Bearer bonds. <laughs> See me in Pickering. See me in Oshawa. See me in Montreal. Leaving a Wells Fargo. That's leaving right. a Merrill Lynch van. Give me money for your gold. More <laughs> gold for your cash. Fuck that guy's funny, man. I love cleavage. He, he does love cleavage. Ah! That guy. Yeah, the does girls love in those cleavage. videos. Oh yeah. my god. He loves money. <clears throat> loves gold. Loves, <laughs> loves it all. Oh, Just he's like the security guy. He's like a fucking villain in a in a fucking What's video. His name? I don't know. Oliver. I don't remember. We'll get him next time. We'll we'll roast him next week. <laughs> um. So they go to meet this banker at the Harbor Hill Harbor Castle Hilton in Toronto, and the meeting starts off well. Melvin does this dramatic unveiling of the suitcases like you see in the movies. He talks about it. It's like, it was awesome. It's like, like in Pulp Fiction where it's just gold. You don't actually see what's in it, but his face just turns gold. It's Marcellus Wallace's soul. That's what right. it is. That's right. We'll get into that another it's time. It's Big Kahuna Burger's secret recipe. That's right. <laughs> so, like, the meeting starts off well. Like I said, like, Melvin does the, the grand unveiling of the suitcases, and the, and the buyer looks impressed, but he goes... Uh, he goes, there has been a change of plans. I need more time to get my money together. We have to schedule another meeting. And I'm making him French just because. Oh, I thought that was a stereotypical, like, Middle Eastern. Oh, fuck. What was... I don't know. <clears throat> anyway. You sounded like Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There has been a change of plans with the bonds. All right. <clears throat> so the buyer looks impressed, but he says there's been a change of plans and he needs more time to get the money together and that they need to schedule another meeting. So this is a bit of a red flag to Melvin, but he trusts his gut and he really needs the fucking money. So he has no other option and he agrees to another meeting. So 12 days later, Melvin is back in Montreal, but he's sitting in a car outside of a train station ready to go to Toronto to meet this banker, right? There's, they've set up a, a meeting at the same hotel, same thing. He's got his brother in the car and everyone else is meeting him in Toronto. So I think that the plan was that they were all going to meet in Toronto, get their money and split. Okay. Whoever was whoever was in the in the robbery. All right. 
So Melvin's brother Bobby's in the car, and Melvin is anxious because this is the big dirty, right? He's trying to make some money. So he decides to smoke a joint in the car to calm his nerves down before he gets on the train. So Melvin's smoking a joint. He sees a ball hop go by. It's a busy suburb in Montreal, whatever. People are walking by. Melvin hits the joint again. He sees the same bellhop go by his car. And before you know it, someone screams, Get out of the car! So police tactical officers with machine guns run up on Melvin and Bobby. And they force the two brothers to lay in the dirty snow and slush in, in February in fucking Montreal. Just nasty weather. So you're about to, you're like... <laughs> You just committed one of the biggest heists ever. You're about to meet a sketchy offshore banker for a big deal. Something's not right. So you decide to smoke a joint to calm your nerves? <laughs> I thought you were going to oh like that Oh my god, part. that's the last thing I would ever want to do. I know, right? So, and uh, his brother Bobby says, Mel, what's going on? And Mel, ever the comedian, says to his brother, he says, I don't know, maybe parking tickets? Wow. <laughs> so, okay. So... Like I said, so the police searched the car, but there was nothing to be found, right? But Melvin's brothers, Robert, Nelson, and Miles were charged with possession. With what? I'm not sure, right? I don't know if they had documents. I don't know if they had weed. I don't know if they had guns. They got pulled in for something, right? And they get questioned for the robbery. Two women, Colleen Delaney and Frances Greeley, were also arrested, but they were released without charge. So one of them... How do their cleavages look? You know what? If we had looked at their side-by-side mugs... Right, but that's so that's where one of the accomplices was female. Oh man! All right, so they pinched Melvin's brothers, right, and they put the squeeze on them, and they all plead guilty, and they were sentenced to nine years in prison. But the authorities want Melvin bad, and he's not giving himself up. He's not, uh, he's not admitting to anything. They want to, they want to pin all the armed robbery charges on Melvin, but he fights it off, and he goes to trial. He does not testify in his own defense. And was found guilty. Okay. But because of his lawyer and his uh, pleading and his mitigating factor during the sentencing, he only gets nine years as well. Okay. So his brothers got pinched and pled guilty. They got nine years. Mm. He goes to trial, does the whole shebang, goes to sentencing, and he only gets nine years for the armed robbery charges. Okay. So his brothers got charged with much lesser shit, but they got the same amount of time. Okay. So... At this time, Mingo blames cocaine for encouraging his lifestyle of crime, but said he felt grateful to only get a nine-year prison sentence for robbery and forcible confinement instead of the $1.25 million he would have got from the deal. So, he says, quote, There could have been a big party, and I could have blown it in two years, so I say thank you. So, he's kind of looking at it like a bigger picture, so... Uh, shortly after getting out of prison... Well, if he had a coke habit, and he just got that much money, it's... It was going to go long. Like we said, he was thinking about doing the Big Dirty. He was probably going to go live in the Caribbean. and Who's Like you said. Doing the Big Dirty? Fucking cokeheads. There you go. <laughs> like you said, he could have been gone in two years. So he gets out of prison. Shortly afterward, he meets a woman named Susie. And he told her the truth when he said that he was a changed man because he gave up drinking. He gave up cocaine. And he gave up a life of crime. And he credits Susie with saving his life as well as enriching it. I, I said it was a, a banker, a bank robber. So, 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 sometimes I stutter. Sometimes I stutter, baby. So they said that they fell in love at, at their first date and they have they were married for over 30 years at the time of the last article I read. They're retired and they live in an RV and travel the country year round. So he's He's been retired since 84. <laughs> Exactly. So, <laughs> so it says that he married Susie in 1989 and he was in prison in 1985 so he might have spent five years in jail out of his nine simple math would say he didn't serve very much of his nine-year sentence well i mean right? the rule of thumb is 30 one third two thirds so yeah Canada. so in conclusion melvin mingo is credited with the largest bank heist in canadian history at 68 million dollars and with the advent of online money transfers it's safe to say that Melvin's record will never be broken. Yeah, there's no more cash. Nope. Bonds. But to this day, 5.75 million of that 68 mil has never been recovered. So what does Melvin say to reporters when he's asked about the whereabouts of the remaining cash? He says, that's a story for another time, but I definitely didn't use it to buy a brand new RV. That's for sure. Does he have an RV? The end. You can't leave me on that. I told you. I told you him and his wife travel around the country in RVs. Oh, okay. Remember the thing I said one paragraph ago? Okay. 
okay. <laughs> Folks, if you at home remembered that, good on you. I'm sorry. So <laughs> him and his wife go around after they got married. They go around in these RVs. Mm-hmm. And so they said, okay, where's the, where's the money? He goes, that's a story for another time. But I didn't spend any of that money on this RV. Wow. <laughs> I feel like they would have gotten him for that though unless he's really good at hiding the paper trail who knows and that's the story Winnebago's of the mischievous good. life of melvin mingo and that's a wild wicked and weird story if i ever heard one so it's good fun stuff yeah uh the sources of this story this week were an article by peter edwards of the uh, toronto star and an article on coolopolis plus i used their photo of melvin for some cover art so they were the ones that had all the really good details about his life and they deserve a lot of credit today so nice. that's my story and i'm sticking to it so hope that's, you enjoyed melvin mingo that's crazy man that's mm-hmm. sick take a little break absolutely brought to you by windsor's penalty box restaurant wild wicked and weird is brought to you by windsor's penalty box restaurant home of the original chicken delight located at 2151 walker road at the corner of tecumseh in the heart of our community Call Windsor's Penalty Box today at 519-253-3310. They're open from 10.30 to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday for a delightful and affordable dining experience. That's 519-253-3310. Windsor's Penalty Box Restaurant, home of the original Chicken Delight. Back up a bit. I have I, to be able to talk I don't, the mic. I know, but I don't want you looking at my thing. Here. I don't want you look, looking at my screen. Don't do it for me. Here. Okay. You're the primary storyteller right now. This is good. No, you're getting close. I'm not going to read your shit. You were reading it last time. I'm looking at, Mel- I'm looking at Melvin and his beautiful I'm mustache. fucking closing this out then. Oh, God. He's still there. Okay. He's still there. So, I liked your story. I liked it. What are, you, what are you texting? What are you doing there? Put it, Turn it off. It is off. I was just... Uh, you told me I'm not allowed to look at the fucking screen, so I'm going to look at my th- my feet like I'm being told what to do. <laughs> like I'm eight. I just don't like you reading my story while I'm, I'm trying to read I'm it to you. I'm not reading your story. I, I can't you read yours because you're reading it on your phone. It's right. And then you're like, oh, just write it on the fucking thing. That's right. This is what... You wanted to read my story. That's why you wanted me to write yeah. it on a computer, motherfucker. He found out. He found anyway. it out. So... Uh, I wanted to tell you a bit of a scary story. Okay. Paranormal. I'm into it. But bef- we haven't done this yet. No, we haven't, and that's kind of why I wanted to get into it. But it's a local story. Cool. And I, it's Texas Road. I just had to blurt it out. Woo! It's happening. It's happening. I Texas Road. I haven't been to Texas Road in a long time. Before I tell you about Texas Road, I want to tell you about a little paranormal experience that i've been having here at home yes i send you some snaps i don't know if you know there's something has been leaving little morsels of food sometimes it's on it's on my doorstep it's like it'll be on the hand on the railing on my porch sometimes it's even like placed ever so gently ever so tenderly on my doorknob handle yes it's like a piece of cornbread some form of gluten yes like a muffin and it's even been on like your your car window. It was too. on my fucking car window one. This thing, this person knows which car is mine because yes. it's been in my car before. It's a little piece of food. It's been happening for years. I think it's either a cat or a little. It could be. I don't know. A squirrel. It could. I be... thought about that because like the one cat sees me all the time. Butters. Yes. Butters, Butters loves me. Which is also Brody's nickname. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and it's a little uh, blonde, tender cat, timid cat, too, just like Butters. Do you remember just having Brody just slave in the dish pit, just under mountains and mountains of dishes? So, and he'd be like, oh my god, guys, I can finally see the dish pit. Brett was talking about our calendar, the Rock Bottom calendar in his previous episode. What that comes from is the place we used to work at, the Bar and Grill, one year for like a fundraiser, we made a calendar of yes. all the guys who worked in the kitchen. And I think one guy worked out front, but like we took our shirts off and like did different scenes from movies. And yeah. Butters, this little blonde dishwasher that 
worked worked in the dish bin and cooked with us back there. This funny little kid. Great guy. My former roommate. Was it a shot from Sons of Anarchy? Was that the theme? We no, like. He had a T-shirt that when he worked at KFC that yeah. said, "I took down the double down." No, it's yeah, I took the double down or I took down the double down. Yes, I and just he said always that. wore this shirt. You did. <laughs> <Yes>. Sorry, and. <laughs> I like would make jokes about like if it was a nuclear holocaust and like future archaeologists are like dusting off some dust off this skeletal remain, they'll just see that t-shirt that just says, I took the I took down the double down. Yes. They'll just see those words double down. So we, we put we took his shirt off and tied a we cut a mohawk into his hair and we put a fake tattoo on his back that said, I took down the double down. Yes. And, and Brett's like, mouthing the words to make sure I say the right. No, but the thing is though, it was like boudoir shoe. Like we did it in like black and white and it's like very sensual. He's looking over his right shoulder. Yes. And you're gonna see this photo if you uh, go to our social media pages and it's fucking hilarious. We have and that's to post it now. One piece of the calendar and that's going to be a continuing theme for the podcast oh my god so thanks brody we love you buddy okay so texas road okay i'm there i've driven on it many times i've have you been there like when you're gone to the cemetery and messed around and stuff Uh, i've never been to the cemetery because the people that went with me didn't make it to the cemetery they're like no let's get out of here oh god there's like different levels of things like you get to a certain part or turn and turn back and we never made it all the way to the cemetery so for those of you who don't know, mm-hmm. Texas Road is an 11-kilometer stretch of county road. Who are you texting? I'm not texting anyone, <laughs> Willie. Read know, your story. I know bitch. you weren't. <laughs> Texas Road is an 11-kilometer stretch of county road that starts from the riverfront in Amherstburg, mm-hmm. and it goes all the way down to east. It goes east on concession number 8, or 8th concession, and there's a little path at the end that continues to a cemetery, mm-hmm. and it comes out on the other side to, to Walker Road. Yep. So at the corner of Front Road, aka Highway 18 and Texas Road, there was a corner house that was owned by a man from Gross Eel. His name was Dallas Norvell. He moved there from America, from Gross Eel, and he was a contributor to the Detroit Free Press, and his pen name was Texas. Okay. And because he lived on there, they eventually named the road after him, Texas Road. His, okay. his first name was Dallas, though. Because I thought they were naming it after his name. Could you imagine yeah. if they named after a guy who was named Dallas, Texas? Yes. That's the most badass thing ever. Yeah. And so it's interesting because... His nickname was Texas. His pen name. He would okay, write articles yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Detroit Free okay. Press. So and it's interesting because he had a dumb-witted brother mm-hmm. who lived on the street over named Alamo. And that's what Alma wrote. He was too dumb to write it. And the name was Al... I'm just kidding. That's no. totally... <laughs> oh, oh I have no me. idea what Alma Road comes from. Alma <laughs> Oh, that's fucking! Oh, you fucking got me too. Because so, I went to school in this town, so I don't. But I don't. I didn't grow up. I in went to school with Dallas Norville. No, I, I grew up. I went to school in Amherstburg in high school, but I didn't grow up there, so I don't know these small stories. So this is this is new to me. So the stretch of road from the river to Second Concession, that part of it, it became very populated with Italian immigrants who had come to yep. Anderton Township, not Amherstburg. It was called Anderton back then. Yep. They had come to work at the Amherstburg Stone Quarry, and I thought. That was really cool because on this little corner of Front Road in Texas, we got British soldiers. We got Native Americans. We have an American who's named Dallas, and his nickname <laughs> is Texas. And in true Essex County fashion, we got Italians. That's right. So I can just imagine, because this place is haunted, I could just imagine you have a string of houses just like, Oh, hey, come here, you fucking ghost. My fucking brother, my brother Johnny gets back from the quarry. Yous guys are going to wish yous never died in the first place. Smack him upside his fucking head. Just waving like, waving a rolling pin. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, hey, you, you fucking So, okay. this whole area, there's been paranormal sightings from colonial times. Texas Road, before our buddy, our buddy Dallas moved there. It was actually a trail for the Wyandot Indians, the tribe, and they used to uh, use it because it would bring them to a sacred Indian graveyard on the edge of the river. So oh, there yeah. was an Indian cemetery at the corner of Texas Road and Front Road. Okay. And it's kind of ironic because on one end, you have an ancient Indian graveyard, and at the other end, you have a white British graveyard. And right in the middle of the road, there's a graveyard for people who are half native and <laughs> half white. <laughs> I had to put that in there. (laughs) You know, hey, 
If anything, they were willing to compromise back yeah. then. I knew you'd Holy like that. Shit. I had to say it. Hey, you fucking ghost! Hey, you fucking ghost! My fucking brother Johnny. Once you see him on the forklift, he'll fucking smack you upside the other dimension. Oh fuck! I'm so sorry. Oh my god. So then, there's also stories of murders and mass massacres and mass graves. There's. Indian bear. We got everything for a great ghost story. There are a lot of crazy. There are a lot of skeletons so, buried out there in Essex County. One of the interesting things that happened in the early 1800s, there's a bunch of British soldiers, you know, the occupying forces, and they took all the indigenous tribes and they gave them some hunting grounds. These hunting grounds, it was like a reservation. They're like, here, you guys can stay here, but it was a fraction of the size of their old hunting grounds. It was really small. You know the parking lot at the Fort Restaurant? That was their hunting ground, right next to the grease trap, like a little 10 by 20, <laughs> like really small. So they had, their whole way of life was taken away. They're starving, they have no food. So the indigenous people, they, they had to resort to more and more trade with the British in order to survive. And one you know type of trade is for young native women to perform shall we say, services for, for the British men, yep. right? One of the oldest jobs in the world. Yeah, this eventually created a problem, and they don't know if it started from the jealous wives of the men or if it was the men themselves who were abusing or just not paying the indigenous woman, but they kind of got mad. And But it doesn't really matter who started this fight because they rounded up all of the Indian women or the Indian entrepreneurs and burned them at the stake on Texas oh, Road. Oh, no. So we got witchcraft. Add that to the notch there. Really? I never thought, I never yeah. heard this before. Yeah. And that's one How of the, many? they say some of their souls still haunt Texas Road. Oh, I have uh, no idea. Could have like, been one, could have been okay. 20. Okay. But. I'm sorry. Yeah. There was, I, there was who was there was a, on there Texas was a, Road. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> and there was Italians. <laughs> so the most famous story of Texas Road is probably the Headless Horseman. In 1881, a mangled body was found in the ditch next to where the Verdi Club is now. Yep. It was determined that he was savagely beaten with bocce balls from old Italian men hopped up on wine and sausage and peppers at the Verdi Club. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, you fucking, hey, you fucking headless horseman weighs your fucking head. You hey. fucking jabroni. Hey, this guy come from a family you don't even show his fucking head around hey, us. You guys plays bocce balls. Ah. So... They don't know how this guy died, but it said the headless horseman can be seen with his lantern at night, or you can hear the gallop of his horse or the crack of his whip. Mm. Hey, you fucking hey. cocksucker! <laughs> and it echoes out in the county too. Yeah, so, cocksucker, cocksucker, cocksucker. My brother, brother, brother. <laughs> so some people say he's dressed in a white cloak, the headless horseman. Uh, in the 1960s, some kids actually played a prank by tying up a string from one side of the road to the other, and they would pull a white sheet across, oh. and they scared the fuck out of some people. That's great. There's also another story of a woman who died in a car crash on Texas Road near the cemetery, so at the end of the road, and she was decapitated. Oh, no. Some people say she's a bride. Other people say she's a woman, like a lover's lane sort of situation. Okay. So legend says she still walks the road at night, searching for her head. Other legends say she's holding the head in her arms while she walks down the road. There's also another story of a man who was tossed alive down a well at Texas Road and Third Concession. Okay. This is an interesting part because Texas Road, a lot of the stories come at the end where the cemetery is, where yes. the kids go and freak this each other out. This is the first out. I've heard anything close. But there's a place, there's a little place where the beer flows like wine. <laughs> there's a little place. McGregor? No. <laughs> no, it's on Texas and Third Concession. Uh -huh. It's called Hell's Corners. So this place, Hell's Corners, like it became famous in the 19th century because there used to be a little tavern there. And there was a lot of sailors in Amherstburg because it was a port town. Yes. And in the winter, they had fuck all to do. So they would just get drunk and get in fights. And there was so much uh, brouhaha and chicanery that they if ended up... They ended up calling this place Hell's Corners. Yeah. And so there's lots of stories, you know, um, around there. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a, a cool story I found in the Windsor Star. It's an article from 1996, Halloween, written by Roseanne Denise. I she, know, I know exactly. Really? I went to okay. school with her kids. So <laughs> she, she interviewed a man named Alex Boroman who lived on this corner. He lived on Hell's Corner. And he talks about how in the winter there's nothing to do, and these sailors were 
get into fights and there was, yep. you know, shootings and I'm sure murders that happened there. And they ended up calling it, you know, Hell's Corner. Not for any paranormal reason, just because guys would beat the shit out of each other. It was a, bad, it was a rough it was, place. Just because it was hell to get a drink. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And this article also has a great line from then police chief Ken Mansell saying, when I first started, we would get cars parked from Walker Road to 8th Concession. And a lot of these cars had license plates from Michigan and Ohio. So everyone was coming for some ghost sightings on Texas Road. There's another man who was on Hell's Corner named Dan Rosati, and he lived there for 40 years. He doesn't know what all the fuss is about. He doesn't think there's ghosts. And he has a quote in the story that says, all I've known since I've been here are those damn dogs that got into my sheep. And he keeps telling about how he had 23 sheep massacred by dogs. And some people are saying, well, how do we know these aren't evil hellhounds, Dan? How do you know? And he's like, because I fucking see them. They're here all the time. Because I fucking see them. <laughs> so there's a pack of wild dogs just running around this area. Well, there are coyotes that are out there, man. These were dogs, apparently, okay, not coyotes, like he said. Dogs. Yeah, so not only did this road have a ghost problem, but it also had a, a dog problem <laughs> with packs of wild dogs roaming the night with their te- teeth dripping of blood and, and wool. That's right. I think his, this guy had nothing teeth. to complain about, so he's like, you know what? I'm going to complain about these fucking dogs right there. I have this yeah. girl's ear. I'm going to complain about this thing. When I thought One of, thing. When I thought of these dogs with their teeth dripping with blood and wool, I thought of, and his teeth would have made the wool. <laughs> it, oh, I get my L and my D mixed up. Yeah. Well, don't. Yeah, George Washington, his knee, his teeth were made of wool. The best part about this article isn't the wild dogs, though. It's the article right underneath talking about crop circles found in a farm on Malden Road. Oh, yeah. And there was like a big, there's a show that brought there, a show called Sightings that interviewed a farmer. The farmer eventually was giving his name up, but then he wanted nothing to do with it. Even MUFON, the Mutual Unidentified Flying Object Network, oh, shit. they okay, even... Yeah investigated and they asked if it was true that a flattened rat had been found inside one of the circles uh it was actually found there but they wouldn't give any more information yeah it's so, flattened by a goddamn tractor tire was probably. it some kids with too much to do or was it a you can make crop circles by force? you can make crop circles by just putting a board down and like just walking it around like don't take the fun out of it i'm trying to I'm trying to get oh, people here oh yeah We'll yeah, to edit well, that out. I like I like science. That, that was a fun movie. That stuff, you know, it's fun to it's fun to believe. Yeah, it is. It, it's I fun couldn't to believe find in what's what's possibly just beyond your reach. Like. I couldn't find any other info on these crop circles, though. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was pretty funny. That's funny. Dan Rosati giving his two cents when he when yeah. He so there was a show called Ghostly Encounters. It was on like A and Your Life Network, I think. Yep. And Texas Road was actually featured in the show in season three, episode 18. And there's a guy named Christopher Mio, and he talks about an encounter that he had with his friends there at the cemetery. And he says they were, like, chased by a ghost chief of Texas Road. And he has a couple other stories. The show is awful. Like, <laughs> and I love those shows. I love FBI files. I love forensic files. Yeah. And I love those late 90s, early 2000s shows because they're so bad. Yeah. But this one, it it transcends the badness. Yeah. It's I couldn't, like, I, did, I was interested in this topic. I couldn't even finish it. That's yeah, how bad that's how and bad pointless this thing was. So... Like this guy, he even has he even has like an IMDb page though. The Christopher Mio guy, yeah. like he's not a guy that they found out to tell this story. He was a guy who was like trying to get discovered. I felt like because yeah. as I was researching his IMDb page, not only was he the main storyteller for this Texas Road episode, but he was actually one of the actors in a previous episode <laughs> in the same season. Yeah, he played. So you know, he was just hawking his idea. He played a guy named. Abraham in season three, episode eight. So he was definitely at the water cooler or at lunch during that episode. And he was like, oh, that was some scary stuff back there. And then he just lights a cigarette and squints his eyes and says, almost reminds me of a little place I like to call Texas Road. And the producer's just like, are you writing this down? Are you writing this down? Ghost, Texas, Italians, we're You're there. on episode 18. <laughs> Italians, you're there. there. So... Eventually, he sold them on his idea, and they did this episode on him, and it it was bad. But it was, <laughs> it was like. Uh, but it got done. From this moment on, you are no longer Abraham. You're getting your own episode. You, you've impressed us so much, we're giving you your name back. <laughs> You're back to Christopher you are now Mio. Chris Mio. <laughs> so, and like I said, this episode is is really bad, and I could barely finish it. At the end, I literally just thought, you know what, this guy, you were born to be an Abraham. The whole Christopher thing, it's. 
It's not working for you. Not everyone can be an Abraham. It is what it is. There's also a really funny CBC clip from the 80s where a reporter named Beth Gaines and a witness go to the end of Texas Road and... It's really bad. The scariest thing are her shoulder pads <laughs> and the awful background music. You can't hear anything. It's it's pretty funny. So you know what the next step is, right? We're hitting all the types of media here. Uh-huh. The movie. Texas Road, the movie. Come on. That's right. In 2010, Texas Road, the movie was released. IMDb says the budget was around $800,000. It was, quote, released on April 4th, 2010. But my 19th birthday. I'm pretty sure it was just released on Amazon Prime and maybe some other small streaming services. Folks, this this did not go to theaters. It did not go to Blockbuster. It was directed by a guy named Dylan Pierce. He also directed another movie from Windsor called Baby Blues in 2008. And he has a couple other credits, uh, some other Windsor films. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, it just didn't make it to post-production. Like, they shot it with all the actors and then said, oh, go home, it's it's uh, not going to happen. Like, apparently right. something happened. But eventually, like, it was supposed to be 90 minutes long, but eventually someone put together 55 minutes of film and sold it to Amazon, apparently. Really? But not everyone got their fair share. Like, I'm sure the no. actors didn't get paid in full. So one a man I, I spoke with named Brandon Deline, who's part of a, a group on Facebook, the Facebook group is called Stories of Texas Road, Amherstburg, Ontario, Canada. And I'd like to uh, thank them, the members and the admins, for letting me join the group and check it out. There's some really great stories and, you know, community on there. There's some really funny posts about, like, some really, there'll be some long, great stuff from, like, the 50s and 60s of people who live there. And then there's also some posts that are just one total run-on sentence, 300 words, like, I remember going down to Texas Road near the bridge. My car wouldn't start, and I heard a little girl yell help, so I was scared, and I have never been back there since. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> like, just spelling mistakes everywhere, like, just classic Facebook stuff, right? So, Not everyone is, a, is as good of a storyteller as you and I, buddy. That's true. So, Brandon, when I... Brandon actually got this video. He actually got to watch it. He was okay. watching it one night, and he posted a shot... Um, like uh, of the title shot of the movie to a TV screen. He posted it on the Facebook group and it's not anywhere. You can't find this movie ever anywhere and no. people are going crazy for it. As soon as he posted it, everyone in the, <laughs> on the group starts commenting like, Oh my God, inbox me, inbox me. Where'd you find it? It's like peop- It's like a guy who just posted a screenshot of the Paris Hilton sex tape before anyone had it, had it. And people are like, I will give you my firstborn son for 30 seconds of this yeah. video. Like, like people want to watch film. it so bad. Yeah. So this guy, Brandon, he lived on Texas Road for 22 years. So I asked Brandon, can you tell me why the movie wasn't fully released? Why was it just available on Amazon for a short while? And Brandon says, uh, quote, essentially what I've been told is that one of the investors in the production had political ties. In the end, nobody knows why he decided to scrap the release, but it was his doing. And one can assume having ties to any politics in Amherstburg, perhaps he didn't want the first picture of our town to be cast in this light with stories of murder and witchcraft and stuff like that. So we don't know who this person is, but they eventually had the final say. They put the kibosh on Texas Road, which would have been a really cool thing, even if it was bad. You know what I mean? The thing that that, uh, I would say about that is... like. Every community has to come from somewhere. Like, so, like, what, what like, Windsor has its uh, darkness in the 20s. Like, if we didn't talk about it, then we wouldn't be able to build from that. That's the kind of, that just seems kind of short sighted, but he probably didn't get his way with some of the creative. Oh, ideas. it could have been and anything. Could have been anything. I'm just saying, like, it just seems short sighted, but it's, it's, I'm just saying, short, 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 long story short, it's a shame. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, I also asked him, um, <clears throat> how was it? You know, yeah, like he, said, this yeah. guy loves Texas Road. He's a huge paranormal, you know, yeah. nerd and loves it. So I asked him, you know, did the movie live up to your expectations when you finally watched it? And he said, quote, well, my expectations are a bit more broad than your average moviegoer. I love cult horror and B films really don't bother me. I followed Dylan's work ever since his Windsor based film Baby Blues back in high school. I knew what to expect, especially seeing as the supposed 90-minute production time was shaved down to 55 minutes for this unauthorized release. That's, you know, they didn't have have everything ready, I'm sure. Some of the reviews on IMDb and Amazon are hilarious. There's only only one on IMDb giving it 1 out of 10 stars, but it has like 12 of them on Amazon Prime. 
the top review title, <laughs> the top review, the title just says, Texas Road, parentheses, not in Texas. <laughs> Other reviews have titles like, good news, it's only 50 minutes. <laughs> and another one says, even worse than you think. <laughs> but apparently they, it's shot in Windsor. They use Windsor radio stations. They talk about Windsor venues. I'd really like to see it. I hope it gets released one day because that'd too. be pretty freaking cool so uh, yeah that's uh there's a couple other stories about texas road but like there's it's so hard to find straight facts like you're not yeah. going to find an autopsy report for that headless horseman if you can find anything on it yeah it's been hundreds of years you know <laughs> it's, yeah, quarter yeah. of a millennia of like almost of people there you know like yeah and just and history gets edited and some and certain oh, stories yeah. just get buried and Mm-hmm. But, like, everyone just has to go kind of go out and have their own experience out there. Like, I don't even remember how far I got down Texas Road. I've only went once. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get down to the cemetery at all because I know we turned back. It was just me, me another another guy, and a girl that were there. And it was completely random why we were there in the first place. It was just a random That's, Friday night. Kids who are <laughs> they're too or, old to play with toys at home, and they're too young to go to the clubs. So they yeah. go to Texas Road and... We had cars, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's all private property now, so it is trespassing if you go. So please don't go. You're supposed to be on lockdown anyways. You're not allowed out of the house. You're not allowed to go anywhere. That's right. Yeah. So, so that's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I went to high school in Amherstburg, and I didn't know any of those stories. I had known that there was some shady shit that happened down on Texas Road, but I didn't know any of those uh, specific stories. So that was a lot of fun. That's right. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I just want to say thanks to everyone for uh, chipping in and sharing and liking our post on the social media giveaway. Congratulations to our friend Connor Holmes on winning the draw. We put all the names into a hat and we drew it, or, or the little bowl there. We drew everyone's name. It was my dinner bowl. Your dinner bowl, yeah. Oh, that's why it had spaghetti stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, we drew Connor's name. I was surprised as anybody. And uh, congratulations, buddy. And, and thank you to Nick and Van Nefros of Windsor's oh, Penalty so Box. Much. Thanks best. for sponsoring the show. And love you guys. Yeah, honestly, fifty dollars. Uh, restaurants are getting hit hard right now, so anything that yeah. any of support those local, local places are willing to give us, we're willing to give it back. So support, support local them. ghosts. Support your local uh, quarry workers, Italian quarry workers on Texas Road. That's right. <laughs> and uh, make sure you give Windsor's Penalty Box a call at five one nine two five three 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 one zero. Is there anything else, brother? Hey, you stupid fucking ghost! Hey, I was trying to sleep in ghost. here. All right, all you ghosts, uh, make sure to follow us on social media. And until next time, let's keep it wild, wicked, and weird. From William Brett, we're saying goodbye. Woo! Ow!